AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for March 7th, 2016. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today, we're joined by Ed Scotus. You're the co-founder of CyberHack? CounterHack. Uh, CounterHack, pardon yes. me. I, I can't seem to get anything right today. <laughs> it's all good, it's all good. And, uh, you know, Ed, you joined us back in October. That's right. And at the time, you were introducing the holiday Hacker Challenge. That's right. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Right. Welcome back. Thank you. It's Glad great to, have to you here. be here. You know, last October I couldn't talk about the details because we're still finalizing. Right. Now I'm, I'm ready to reveal all the stuff. All right. All the, we'll the nitty gritty details. And Stan, you had the opportunity to participate in yes. that. Yes. So uh, it we'll was a lot of fun. And thank you for having me on the show today <laughs> so I can actually talk to it. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is going to be, uh, it's going to be great listening to you kind of go back and forth about. Uh, some of the activities and observations, so looking forward to that. And uh, online here we have uh, <laughs> Jim Clausing, and Jim, welcome. Thanks, good to be here. <laughs> okay, and I'm Brian Rexrode, and uh, a little fumbling around today, but we'll get through this. And so, Ed, you were at uh, RSA That's right. just this last week, yep. and uh, I think among the, the four of us, you are the, the sole attendee at wow. the RSA conference. So. Yep. Tell us a little bit about what you saw and what you found interesting. You know, RSA is huge. That's the it biggest thing about RSA. They uh, they said there were over forty five thousand people there this year. It's like a it's like a city. And I've I've been going almost every year since nineteen ninety six. I've missed a couple of years. I think I wasn't there in two thousand two, two thousand three. Mm -hmm. And I've I've watched it as it's grown and evolved. It is an amazing event. It uh, is. The thing I find most interesting about it is it pulls together people from so many different disciplines. You know, back in the day when I first started going, it was it was very technical people, especially mm -hmm. people with crypto backgrounds. Well, and that, you know, that was basically what we had to choose from in the security right. space back then, right? Yeah, you, you were the crypto person or maybe you were the firewall person right. or, you know, th th that's pretty much what we had. Um, I was the firewall person who ended up getting to go to the crypto conference. But mm -hmm. now, in addition to all the technical people there, there's a lot of lawyers, mm -hmm. public policy people, government folks, there's, I mean, it's just, it's fantastic because mm -hmm. all these minds coming together, uh, the, the, the theme of this year's conference was connect to protect. So, you know, connect with people, your right. peers, and figure mm -hmm. out how we can come up with ways to protect things better. It was neat. It's totally exhausting, you know, to spend a week out there with those folks. I, I had the honor of uh, presenting a couple times, and, and the neat thing is you can present in front of a thousand people mm -hmm. or more. So, so RSA is quite an adventure. I'm looking forward to going back next year. Good, yeah. good. So, did, were there any things that, that you saw there that were particularly notable? Yeah, there were some really interesting big kind of picture themes. One mm -hmm. of them is uh, they had uh, Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter present there, and he presented on a new bug bounty program that uh, the DOD is engaged in. Mm -hmm. So this is the United States Department of Defense. If, you have a, if they have a web server, it's a public-facing web server, right. you can register as a person who wants to hack that, mm -hmm. and, and, and you have to file a form, there's a form online, you fill out this form, it's only for US citizens, right. so you gotta be a US citizen, um, you fill out the form, they do a background check on you, so you're consenting to have a background check done, mm -hmm. and then you're allowed to hack them. I mean, there's certain rules of engagement, right. you're not allowed to do denial of service or anything, but you're allowed to hack them, there is a requirement that if you find something, you tell them about it, and mm -hmm. the idea is they pay you. So it's, it's a true bug bounty program, done by the Department of Defense, which I think that's fantastic. Right? They must have sat there and said, we're getting hacked by all these people all the time anyway. Why don't we at least make sure some of them are our friends and legitimate and that mm -hmm. we can give money to and are actually there to help us? Right. It's all kinds of good. Yeah, absolutely. So. And you know, it's, a, it's that whole notion around crowdsourcing that yeah. is to be able to engage a large, I'll use the word portfolio of people, right. knowledge, to be able to do testing. Now, admittedly, they're constraining it by having the background checks and having to, to go through agreements, but by the same token, I, I can't think of a better alternative. And the thing that I thought was pretty cool is, you know, having people register to do this, what mm -hmm. 
brilliant way to have people sort of self-identify. Yeah, I'm a hacker and I, I, yeah. I want to hack your stuff. Here you go, US military, register me. Right. That's, that's really impressive, yeah. a nice Maybe piece of work. Maybe it's also like headhunting, right? Maybe they're looking for the next generation of people they can employ to protect the systems. There's so many neat things in here. I mean, look, it could go wrong. Something bad could happen. Mm -hmm. uh, it could make a big uptick in the number of attack attempts at them that could blind them to other things. There's, there's all those possibilities. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, I think this is a really neat idea. And, you know, we're seeing many other organizations do these, you know, bug bounty programs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, like, you know, Facebook has had its famous one where Mark Zuckerberg has said, if you find a big enough hole in Facebook, I'll give you a million bucks. And, you know, Google has its famous payouts mm -hmm. of 1337, right, uh, the elite number. That's how much they'll pay if you find something in there. So there's a lot of organizations right. that, are, that are doing this kind of thing. There's even a company uh, called HackerOne that sets up bug bounty programs for other companies. So, I mean, right. this is like mainstream now. And then, I mean, how more mainstream can it be than the U.S. military saying, yeah, we're in. Do that with us. Absolutely. Makes a whole lot of sense. You know, we have a bug bounty program at AT&T as well. That's cool. And yeah. uh, it's it's very similar in the sense, not as uh, we don't do background checks on the right. individuals, right. but we certainly uh, have, as any bug pro bounty program is going to have, there are basically certain things you need to agree to right. and uh, constraints in terms of what types of activity you can perform on the sites. But it's an opportunity to help find some of the problems, get those problems corrected rather than uh, become a victim. You know, yeah. I, my only hope here, I guess, well, perhaps my own, not only hope, but a hope would be that perhaps they'll extend this. And, uh, you know, if these folks have already gotten a background check through the DOD, perhaps extend this out to uh, civilian government sites. Yeah, and for cool. some reason, I have OPM in the back of my mind. Yeah, I really? Yeah. I can't think of why. But, you know, I'm sure there are others that perhaps will be you know, practical. I, I think this is the start of something good. And, and uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Carter did say that this is an experiment. Mm -hmm. They're going to try this with just DOD websites that right. are public facing. That's mm -hmm. it for now. Mm -hmm. But the idea is in the future they might extend to other kinds of sites right. and maybe even go outside the DOD. It's good. And it's a ground floor opportunity, right? Yeah. Pretty neat. I, you know, it, it just, if they say websites, I mean, certainly websites have their own sets of complexities, but right. um, I think uh, too often, there are other little subtle things that get, you know, sneak out onto the internet, which become as much of a problem as anything else. And it, it seems a little tricky started, to, yeah, to stay very specific. Thing. And then, you know, define a website. Well, it's on that <laughs> right. site, but it's listening on a different port. Does it speak HTTP or not? Right. So, you know, very it, yeah, I mean, does it, that just mean TCP 80 and 443 via yeah. HTTP and HTTPS? Or does it mean other things that might be on the same yeah. servers? There, there needs to be Hopefully a little Hopefully they spelled that out fairly clearly and They're working on yeah. it as we speak. <laughs> working on yeah, it. Okay, yeah. good. So what else have you seen? So another big thing that I'm pretty excited about that, that was really uh, a, a main thing at RSA this year is the rise of this concept of hunt teaming. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people talked about it. In fact, uh, Amit Yuran, he is uh, the, the CEO of RSA and he delivers the initial keynote. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talked passionately about hunt teaming. And hunt teaming, I'll describe it, and you guys will say, oh, we know that, right? <laughs> but, but the idea is you have uh, employees that work inside an organization, and their mm -hmm. job is to identify the bad guys in their midst. They're hunting right. for the bad guys, find them, stop the bad guy, eradicate, prevent mm -hmm. damage from happening. And, and you look at it and say, well, that's like what we've been doing as blue teams and incident response people for 20 years, right? right. Yeah. yeah, but now they've got a new fancy title for it, hunt teaming. The reason I'm kind of excited about it is if you, if you go back over the last 20 years or so, the offensive people had kind of um, a lot of excitement associated with them, right? The hackers, the mm -hmm. pen testers, the red teamers, that's me. Right. And, and we talked when we were here in October about how that's kind of sexy stuff and hacking is fun and exciting and sexy. I think this concept of calling it the hunt team can bring some sexiness to that role and to say your job is really important and you're there to find the bad guys, right, right? And, to, and to help stop them from doing damage. It's not, you know, it's not merely, you know, oh, incident response. Your job is there to get spanked by the bad guys. Mm -hmm. and No, your job is to, to find those and, 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 and take care of it. So it's a concept that we've seen for a long time, but calling it Hunt Team. And mm -hmm. Amit Yuran said in his, his keynote for RSA, he said, you need to make sure 
that you remove roadblocks from your hunt team. Yeah. Encourage them to think creatively, to think dynamically, to start you know, writing up scripts. You want those people to be your smartest people, the ones that you have the least shackles on so that they can explore around your environment and find the bad guys. Yeah. This is all kinds of cool. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this I, you have a very dynamic, very um, incentivized for creativity, um, incident response capability, if you want to just call it that, mm -hmm. or hunt team. Doesn't that just sound better? No, it does sound better. Yeah. And you know, it, uh, for some reason, I'm thinking, you know, um, sanitary engineer has a more positive <laughs> kind of. But I, I think it, I think there's more to it than that. Yeah. Because uh, you know, I think one of the things that we and Stan, you're well aware of this. One of the things we've been working on is not just hunting for the bad guys, mm -hmm. but hunting for just the bad guys trying. Yes. So the you know and you can't really stop simple reconnaissance activity, but there are certain there are things you can do. What I like to refer to as preventative analysis. That is, to look for the trends in the activity. Look for just the uh, uh, attempts. You know, I'll take an example, a simple example: brute force password guessing attacks. Mm -hmm. Why wait for the brute force password guessing attacks if you can observe that activity? Yeah. Make sure there are controls put in place because all too often, you know, systems they don't have those controls in place by default, and so it, it's a exercise and you know just looking sure. and finding activities before it really becomes any significant. And you're problem. dynamically improving your security stance based Absolutely. on actual real-world malicious activity, but doing that proactively. That's right. That's good. And yeah. and so to your point, rather than wait to be a victim and have something alert and report something. Mm -hmm. It's giving the team the flexibility, the opportunity, encouraging, digging in, trying to find the things that can get in front of the attacks as far as possible. Exactly. And that, and that kind of leads into this other big trend in mm -hmm. conversations at RSA. And it, so you've got this hunt teaming concept. And then there were a lot of talks about uh, security operations centers, mm -hmm. you know, so-called SOCs and how to manage them, how to run them at scale, how to, mm -hmm. how to provide proper incentives, techniques for handoff between the different groups within the SOC. And I, I think about all these things, right? I mean, you've got the bug bounty program, mm -hmm. you've got the hunt team stuff, you've got managing uh, you know, a security operations center at scale. And it's like the stuff that you guys do all the time and have been doing for decades and kind of pushing the envelope there. Well, now the RSA conference is all about that. Which is pretty neat. Very good. I think it's yeah, cool. it is very good. Yeah. So my hope is, and this was actually one of my 2016 predictions, yeah. is that there'll be more trend toward the controls, yeah. as opposed to the you know analysis and activities. I think you know there's certainly a lot of value in the analysis and in getting as active as possible in terms of uh, being able to respond to events or or deal with the potential of an event occurring. But I think there's still that thing where, you know, I guess perhaps closer to the bug bounty mm -hmm. that is getting the controls in place before the systems are brought out there, or at least as systems are maturing, so that they're actually protecting themselves as opposed to sort of this reactive approach. So the thing, the it'll thing be I like about that and, and all of these different trends we've talked about at RSA is if you think about, you know, the bug bounty program, the hunt team, and, and the sock stuff, mm -hmm. it's kind of red and blue working together. We talked yeah. a little bit about that when I was here in October, about red team does this, blue team right. does that. I think we get really special stuff in making security better mm -hmm. when red and team are red and blue are working together. Yes. The offensive guys are helping the defensive guys defend better. The defensive guys are helping to push the red teamers, the offensive guys, yes. to make them even better at what they do. And, and all of those trends are actually kind of in alignment with that. Yeah, I agree with that thoroughly. And so similarly, I think uh, that didn't, and I'm pointing to Stan. I know I keep pointing to the wrong place for Jim but in the camera there. But uh, it, again, it's what, one of the things that I think we've been uh, sort of in, in encouraging as well. Yeah. That is, um, as we see, successful or not, as we see attack activities taking place to try to incorporate that as a challenge for the folks that are in protective roles. Right. So in policy and uh, deployment of systems, improving the uh, practices so that it, so it's a very, it's similar, but a little different than what you were describing. It's yeah. not really attackers. We're observing the attackers and then using it as a means but to at help the same time, So you're doing all that to help the defensive folks, but you're right. probably also pushing your own red teamers and your pen testers say, make sure you're doing this. Because if you're not applying the same techniques that the bad guys are doing, you're doing us a disservice. Yeah. So it, it kind of all feeds together. And AT&T has been at the forefront of this, you know, 
it's for, for a good long time. It's great to see. Well, we like to, like cool. to think so anyway. It's good. <laughs> no, really, it's true. <laughs> All right, very good. So, uh, Jim, let's go to you. And um, just think, speaking of uh, slowing things down or preventing attacks from being successful, maybe you can give us a little tip. <laughs> yeah, this... Uh, this, I, I came across this article in German on the Heise Securities blog uh, and uh, used Google Translator to translate it into English because my German is okay, but not great. But uh, basically what this article was about, we talked about Lockheed, I think, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, Lockheed is the current brand of ransomware on Windows systems that seems to be getting the most attention and is propagating quite a bit. And, uh, you know, they go in and encrypt all your files and on your, uh, you know, whatever shares that you've got, even if they're not mounted, actually, uh, in some cases, they will go ahead and mount them and encrypt files on the shares. Hmm. So the interesting trick that I, I saw in this article um, was some folks uh, who were using Samba rather than actual Windows servers to host their their file shares, and using fail to ban. I think we've talked about fail to ban on the on the show a few times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially to block those brute force password guessers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think any any site that has you know SSH facing the internet should be running fail to ban because you get all these password guessing attacks and this will at least block them for some period of time. So the, the whole idea with this one was if you turn on um, some additional logging in Samba, you could then set up fail to ban to detect when the this ransomware was going out and encrypting the files and you could block them then. So you, you, they would end up probably encrypting you know, five files, but then they'd get blocked for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So at least this would slow them down from encrypting everything on the file share. Uh, so I thought it was just a, a neat trick and mm -hmm. a neat idea uh, to, to do exactly what we were just talking about. You know, take advantage of this is what the, in this case, the malware is doing. So what can we do to improve our defenses and slow it down? when one of our users goes ahead and clicks on something they shouldn't have. So right. I, I thought it was a real neat idea. It, it, it is. Fail to ban is really good stuff. We actually used fail to ban in the holiday hack challenge oh, on our side to kind of defend our infrastructure from all the attacks people were throwing at us. And yeah, I'm a big fan of fail to ban. And this is a really clever use of it. Yep. That's, and I, I, I agree. And, you know, I guess this works well if you put it in combination with perhaps the opportunity to get the antivirus updated to the point where it actually has a signature to detect the malware yeah, yeah. or to, uh, to pick up on the command and control and to be able to detect it and to be able to actually correct it. Otherwise, it really doesn't do anything. If you slow it down and it eventually encrypts all your files anyway, <laughs> that's not really going to serve a very good purpose. But the, uh, the opportunity to slow it down and give you a chance to catch up to them definitely uh, valuable. Exactly. That's, if you can slow it down enough, long enough that you can get in and fix it, that's, you know, that's the key there. Right. So, Ed, now that you've had a chance to uh, rest your vocal cords for sure. a bit here, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, Holiday Hacker Challenge yes. and uh, a gnome in your home. Yeah. Tell us about the uh, background on so, this. So the idea of this is, you know, the Internet of Things is, is a big thing, right? You've got, right? You can control lights and there's, there's toys that are on the Internet and all that. And when I was here in October, I couldn't reveal the secret theme of, right. of Holiday Hacker Challenge because we were still working on building it and such. But... Um, the actual theme was gnome in your home. And, and the, the backstory of this is, in this sort of fantasy world, there's a company called Atnas Corporation, A-T-N-A-S. And they've created this product called Gnome in Your Home. It's like Elf on the Shelf, but different. So gnome in your home. And, and the idea is parents buy these, these little gnomes, and they're supposed to put them on a shelf or around the house, and you plug them into the wall, and they play holiday music, little 8-bit holiday music, right? Yeah. Jingle bells and stuff like that. And you're supposed to move them every day so the kids can find them. Right. And uh, what we did is we had some legs made up, these, these little legs here. Um, and, and 
we, we integrated these little legs. These are the very legs that we integrated into the challenge because here's what was happening. The gnomes themselves actually had a camera mounted in the eye mm. and they had a circuit board inside and it was sending wireless packets out onto the internet. And these two little kids in our scenario, they, they noticed that these wireless packets are going out mm -hmm. and we give you the wireless packet capture. So you have to analyze it. And it's a command and control channel using DNS. Mm -hmm. and we also give you the firmware from the device. So it's like an internet of things, it's a toy. We give you the firmware and you have to go through the firmware. And when you do this, you, you gotta figure out what the big plot is. So we had a mystery. And the idea is Atnus Corporation had sold two million of these gnomes. And when you start going through the firmware and the packet capture, you realize that the gnomes are being controlled by super gnomes. And there are these super gnomes. There's five super gnomes in the world. And to rule them all, right? Yeah, five gnomes <laughs> to rule them all, exactly. So, so there's, there's one that's, actually there's two in the US, there was one in Brazil, one in Japan, and one in the UK. So we got these five super gnomes. Mm -hmm. And then we also had a video game component on it. So the way that you get the, the packet capture is you have to walk into this little video game. It's a little role-playing video game. It plays holiday music in 8-bit, and you walk around, and you walk up to characters, and you interact with them. And then once you solve certain little puzzles in the video game, you get the packet capture. And then you have to solve some other puzzles, and then you get the firmware. So it was an integration of a video game into our narrative and a hacking challenge. Because the ultimate goal is for you to hack into the five supernomes. So supernome one, two, three, four, five. And these are all still up. The whole holiday hack challenge is up. You can play it now anytime, right? So you can go into the video game. What we noticed was a lot of parents would have their kids play the video game part. So it's, you know, it's, like, it's like Super Nintendo. You're running around and you're solving and little things right. jumping around and such. And then you get the packet capture and you get, you get the, the uh, uh, firmware and then you give that to mom or dad and then they work on that piece. Right. So we have pictures, people would tweet pictures of, of families working on this stuff together. We wanted to make it fun and with the right. video game piece. So the idea is you hack into the five supernomes. To what end? Mm -hmm. We have to resolve the plot. You, your goal is attribution. Right. You need to figure out who the bad guy is. Who is the villain? And, and, and to do this, we have you answer 10 questions. I mean, the first question is, you know, where are the supernomes located? The second question, blah, blah, blah. And we just walk you through. Um, but the final question, I don't know if you noticed this, Stan, but the final question says, who is the villain? Yes. Period. No question mark. Oh, All I the other ones had that. a question mark I at the end. So who is the villain? <laughs> is so so you work your way through this thing, and I'll reveal it here because I mean it's out there. You can read. There's write-ups. There's hundreds of write-ups on this thing. The actual villain. Oh, so what Atnus Corporation is all about is they're taking photographs from the eyes of the gnomes, two yeah. million gnomes. They're taking them and they have a group of burglars that they're co coordinating with. And on Christmas Eve, they're going to deploy all of the burglars and they're going to give them a specific set of things to steal from the houses. And they have to go into the houses. The burglars will steal all that stuff. They're going to sell it on the open market and they're going to destroy Christmas mm. because Atmos Corporation is reverse Santa. Santa spelled backwards is Atnus. So they're going to go and they're going to ruin Christmas by stealing everything rather than putting out the gifts. And who runs the whole thing? Do you want to say? Stan solved the whole thing. He, he got a super honorable mention, which yeah, is really impressive. Which impressive. is pretty good, you know, considering awesome. a lot of the things are random also. I think seven out of the ten winners were random, right? Seven out of ten winners were random. Yeah. And, uh, yep, we had three, though, that, that got top billing. Was, and uh, Cindy Lou Who, Cindy age 62. Lou, age 62. <laughs> so Cindy Lou Who from the original Grinch. Remember, she was aged right. no more than two. Well, here she is 60 years later, and she realizes the Grinch is a chump. And he never, <laughs> he, he never lived up to what he was going to do. He wimped out at the last moment at the top of Mount Crumpet and gave up. She's going to do it right. She's going to do it with some technology. Where we've got the gnomes and the super gnomes, and she has this worldwide criminal empire. And you get to see her. We actually hired an artist to create Cindy Lou Who, age 62, so you could see what she looks like now. And, and you get these pictures and the, the camera overlays and all this kind of stuff you have to work your way through. And when we had these gnome legs, what, what we did is we took photographs all around our house and, and everything like that. So you could see, you, you never saw the gnome. You would just mm -hmm. see his little legs hanging out. Because I wanted the gnome to be in your head. So you right. probably know what the gnome looks like. Yeah. I know what the gnome looks like, but we all think a little different of it. But you know that it has the candy cane striped legs. So we put that together and, and in doing this, I mean, Super Gnome 1, rather easy to get into, I think, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's default credentials. We give you the firmware. You could pull the credentials from the firmware and log directly into Super Gnome 1. Mm -hmm. Super Gnome 2 gets more difficult. Super Gnome 3, 4, and Super Gnome 5, you've got to write zero day. Um, our expectation was about 3% of the people would be able to get Super Gnome 5. 
uh, actually a lot more got oh. supernova, but it was it was about maybe ten or twelve percent, which wow. is pretty good. That is pretty um, good. And then in the video game itself, a lot of people played the video game, and the average person spent 90 minutes in the video game, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. 8,000 people go into the video game, and it's up right now, you can go and play it. We were experimenting with a lot of technologies in this one. So that whole video game, we customized a free open source video game called Browser Quest, mm -hmm. and we changed it into Holiday Hack Quest, and we added a lot of stuff, I mean tons and tons of code. We spent we spent about six months working on the code of the video game part of it. The whole challenge took a year to write. Mm -hmm. um, and it's up there, again, free. We don't make any money on it. We do it as a labor of love because we want right. to help people learn. But the, the, the video game itself was all written in Node.js, which is a crazy technology. Mm. Um, so Node.js is server-side JavaScript that interacts with client-side JavaScript. And on Node, it's everything is in a single thread on a single web server, so if any one thing crashes, the whole thing is down. So it violates Lovely. like it violates all the rules of like right. computer yeah. science that we learned. You yeah. know, separate memory, you know, separate processes, all this kind of stuff. But the fact is, it pushes as much of the work as it can to the client, so it runs in right. the browser yeah. and maintains just a little bit of state. And and my team came to me, saying we'd like to do something in Node. And I looked at this and I said, I'm afraid this thing is just going to be too fragile, and there's no way we could do it. Um, but I'm willing to experiment, because they wanted us to do a commercial project written in mm -hmm. Node, and I'm like, I don't know. So I said, why don't we do an experiment in Holiday Hack Challenge, and then we'll see if we can write something that runs in Node and stays up and can have pretty you know, huge scale, mm -hmm. and that's what we did. And we had 99.9% .9 uptime. The thing that's never impressive. came down. It was so right. rock solid. The only time it came down is we brought it down because we thought we had to to change some things in the game. We didn't even have to bring it down. We learned more about it afterwards. We, we could have actually kept the whole thing running. No kidding. It is an amazing, I've been doing a little node development myself over the last two months since the holiday hack. It's weird because you're writing in JavaScript and, and, and on a server, mm -hmm. but it is cool technology. And even Supernome 4, we, you know, we ate our own dog food, so we got all of our video game running inside of Node, and then Supernome 4, you have to hack a Node instance in the Supernome itself. So, you know, it's, it's got all these different things fed into it. Um, and then we did you attend the uh, the uh, award the ceremony? ceremony I Were did. You in oh. So the award ceremony, we had this idea. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do the award ceremony in game? So we invited everybody we knew. We tweeted on it. You know, we sent emails to all of our players, mm -hmm. and and we were going to announce the actual winners. So what we did is we went into our game. So this game is like a little town, and you have to walk around the town and collect things like cookies and stuff. And there's an Easter egg in the town and all that kind of stuff. So you walk through the town. We put in little signs that have arrows pointing to the award ceremony. So you mm -hmm. walk down, and there was a door that was never opened during the actual game. We opened that door, and there was a lady greeting you outside, and all the signs point you to the award ceremony. You go inside there, and there's a stage. And on the stage is me and my whole team. We have posters behind us of all the previous holiday hack challenges. You saw those, right? Yeah, so yeah. Last year's and the year before and the year before. And then it's playing the you know holiday hack 8-bit music. Right. We, had, we actually had 400 people that came to the in-game awards ceremony. And they're all running around, and we let them talk. So and the little bubbles would appear above their head, whoop, as they say things. And we had, a, we had a dirty word filter. So if you typed in a bad word, it would just replace it with the word gnome <laughs> in all caps. So whenever you see, and, and we, did a, we, did a, we, we got a video of the award ceremony. And the award ceremony starts out, and it's me typing, saying, welcome, everybody, so glad you're here. And you can see, whoop, above my head, whoop, all this stuff. Uh, pl you know, please, we'll be starting soon. And then we had a custom song, an 8-bit song that was the... Um, the Star Wars uh, throne room song, you know, at the mm -hmm. end of Star Wars mm -hmm. Episode Four, we had that written as an eight-bit thing. So we played that because you know we were giving awards, and then we did something. I was so excited about freak people out. I'm standing on stage and I typed, "Hey Phil," because he's one of the guys that did a lot of this development. "Hey Phil, please hand me the microphone." So it goes, "Whoop!" "Hey Phil, please hand me the microphone." Phil walks over to me, hands me the microphone, and I say, "Hello, hello, can you guys hear me?" We embedded into the, the stuff that we pushed down to the browser, uh, a multicast audio thing, cool. so everybody could hear as we announced cool. all the winners and everything. <laughs> but what we've done with this is now we've built a platform. So it's a platform that integrates video games with hacking challenges right. and with, you know, they, they call the feature that does this little uh, uh, audio broadcast, they called it, the guys called it this, like voice of God. So we have the voice of God that can like talk to everybody yeah. inside the game at the same time. And we're going to be using this for the 2016 one. But it's going to be 
so much bigger and so much better. We, we started working on it before this one launched. The, the, the one coming up, it'll be this December, December 9th, mm -hmm. um, we're going to run this one. And it is going to have, the, the graphics are going to look a little more grown up. It's not just simple little 8-bit sort of mm -hmm. sprites. They're going to look a little more grown up. Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll probably see the same kids again, but they're going to be about four years older. In, in Gnome in Your Home, they were 6 and 10. They're going to be like 10 and 14. The music is going to be... I just figured out the music last weekend, and we got the music <laughs> all figured out for it. We, right. we contacted the artists that make that music, and we got their right. approval. Um, and you're going to see much tighter integration of gameplay and the role-playing game. Just to give you a little bit of a brief of what that's going to be like. So imagine that there's a door right, mm -hmm. on a building. And right now, the way we did it in the 2015 version is you'd walk up to a person, and the person would give you a packet capture file, and you'd have to do stuff with the packet. Well, that's right. all very nice and good. But now, next to the door will be a computer terminal. You walk up to the computer terminal. Oh. In your browser, whoop, you're sitting at that terminal, and mm -hmm. you've got to do your magic. And if you do your magic, the door opens. Wow. So, so you don't have to install anything. It's all, right. all there in-game, really tight integration. Very nice. Yeah, and I'm not going to say what the theme is, but it's going to be another one of those mysteries where yeah, there's going to be attribution of the bad guy, and we've got the we've got the basics of the plot worked out of what's uh -huh. going to happen in it. I get so excited about this. Thank you for letting <laughs> no, me I, share. No, I, I, I'm actually. You have a lot of love to share here. Oh, you said man. it's a labor of love, and we do absolutely. I, I clearly put a lot of labor into this. And it, it was probably I'm it was over a thousand hours in building the 2015 version. It's probably closer to fifteen or sixteen hundred hours of my mm -hmm. team and me. And I was thinking about this actually. You know, this year's we're starting it already. We're working hard on it. It's probably going to be two thousand hours or so. Mm -hmm. I sometimes think that maybe that's actually our reason for doing what we do. We, you know, we do all this stuff like Net Wars and SANS teaching all that so right. that we can have a company that is economically viable mm -hmm. with the goal of giving everyone the Holiday Hack Challenge for free. So the reason we do everything else that we do is simply so we can give away the Holiday Hack. Right. And we love to give it away. And we want more and more people to be in it. And that's why we keep it up all year round. And, and you know, if you want to go through Gnome in Your Home, it's there. Or the year before was called, it's, uh, actually the year before was a um, Christmas Hacking Carol. Mm -hmm. with, uh, with Scrooge, that's still up. And if you want to go to the one year before that, it was called uh, It's a Hackerful Life. Still up. All, we keep them up. I, I spend a lot of money on cloud services to keep mm -hmm. all these things up for people year-round. So you could go through the last 10 years of Holiday Hack Challenges and build your skills and have fun. Very cool. So, very it was cool. an amazing challenge. I have to say the amount of work you put into it, I could see in every step. Oh, thanks. So I really appreciate it. I'm and so glad I learned you did so it. much. I learned a lot by doing the challenge, but then I learned even more by just trying to write everything up. And I hadn't realized how much I had to do yes. until I had to write it all up. Isn't that cool? So you get to the end of that and you know you're like, wow, that Supernome 5 was really hard. And then you look at what you did in Supernome 4, Supernome 3, or the packet capture all the way back to what you did in the firmware and it's like, wow. And, and we do try to stitch it all together, and mm -hmm. then when you send us you know, your, your input, we, we have a strict requirement. Everybody that sends us input, you get an email response from us. And we, we tell you about what you sent us. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you did a really good job, you did a fantastic job, or I liked how you did this. We try to pick out some positives of everybody that sent, and we got over 500 entries. So, but we emailed everybody back, um, congratulating them, and then the winners, you know, they got a little email from us too, saying, "Hey, you're going to be there for the the award ceremony because mm -hmm. we'd like you to be there." We don't tell them why, but they kind of know <laughs> why. Uh, yeah, so Very it good. is. I'm so glad you did it. Yeah, it was great. I loved every single challenge because I learned something uh, about Node.js. I didn't. I hadn't used Node.js at all prior to that. Truth and, is, I hadn't either. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's like a big thing. There's so much that's coming yeah. out inside of Node now. Um, and you know we learn a lot in building these things, but also if you go through the video game, we made the video game into an integrated hint system. So what we would say is, find this character in the video game and he can tell you how to hack node.js. Or find this character, and you walk up to him and then suddenly, boop, above that character, it starts giving you hints and things right, that you can yeah. click on and such. So it is kind of guided uh -huh. um, in the video game. So it was an experiment in video game slash security challenge integration, mm -hmm. and then this year, we're going to go so much further because what we're trying to do is to lighten the load on the user, so you don't have to install. You don't even have to install Wireshark. I mean, for right. this year's, you had to install Wireshark. If you had a Python interpreter, that helped. If you had this, it would help. What we're trying to go with next year is you could bring all your tools if you want, but if you have no tools, as long as you got a browser 
everything right. is there for you right within the browser. That's our goal. I don't know if we're going to meet it, but maybe mm -hmm. I'll come back and talk to you in October, see how it's going. Well, I look forward to that. Thank you. Yeah, it's very good. I, <laughs> I'd like to continue this. It's, <laughs> it's so much fun. I love doing that stuff. It yeah. does sound like a lot of fun. I, unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to participate in it. Well, I guess I know, need to carve out. There's time later today. You can yeah, go ahead. <laughs> there is time later it's today. It's still up. Yeah. It's still up, and we'll keep it up forever, really, because um, we want people to do it. Mm -hmm. it when, when we were running it, so when you're in the video game, you can see everybody else in the video game, mm -hmm. and you can talk with everybody else in the video game. And back in December, when this thing was running, with everybody working on it, there was this one area of the town that was fairly sparsely populated. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a lot of our characters there, and there weren't a lot of buildings. What would happen is people would walk to this part of the town and they'd start talking with each other, sharing ideas and hints. And we we're thinking, are they cheating? Should we stop it? We just let it go as a social experiment. Mm -hmm. And there were also you know, some fairly famous hackers that logged into this and were walking around chatting with people. It became like a virtual online hacker conference. Oh. And people chat with you. Yeah. And you know, I did debate with my guys a lot. I didn't want allow, to allow users to talk with each other because mm -hmm. my worry was somebody would put in bad words or they would offend somebody or something mm -hmm. like that. Josh Wright, though, is a friend of Jim Clausing's and, and, and mine. He pushed me really hard. He says, we've got to let users talk to each other. It adds a social dimension mm -hmm. to this that, that will really make it special. And I finally said, okay, but we have to do a dirty word filter. And then some of the other guys on my team says, there's no way you can make a dirty word filter that will filter everything. Right. And I said, but we have to try. Um, yes, you'll be able to misspell dirty words and they'll get around it, but we have mm -hmm. to be able to tell people, we tried to make mm -hmm. sure there weren't dirty words. And we, we, we were kind of policing it. Every day, we would get transcripts of everything that was wow. said the night before. And if you said bad stuff, we were ready to pull the trigger on your character saying no. I'm amazed people were actually really well behaved. They were, they were good. good to each other. We had That's a rule, good. you know, be good to each other. It's like Bill and Ted's right. Excellent Adventure. Be excellent to each other. We, we wanted people to be good to each other, and they were. And we're going to up in, in the new uh, one that's coming up, much more social interaction. We want it to feel like you're hanging out at a mm -hmm. security conference with a bunch of friends working on stuff together. So look for even more of that. One thing I did like, I think one of the answers initially you had to type to one of the characters. I forgot yes. it was like an IP address or something like that. Well, that's or, how we vet the scope. Yes. So the idea is we have these five supernomes around the planet. Mm -hmm. And I can't just, I mean, what we could have said is here's the IP address of a supernome, go hack it. But we want you to figure, you, you have to use Shodan to find mm -hmm. where the supernomes are. And by the way, we worked with Shodan to make sure the supernome addresses were constantly cached. For mm -hmm. those that don't know, Shodan is a search engine for unusual yeah. devices like webcams and stuff and, and supernomes as it mm -hmm. is. So we worked with the creator of Shodan to make sure that the supernomes would stay in there. But the, the idea is we didn't want to give you the IP address. We want you to have to use Shodan to find the supernomes. But then we had to come up with some way that, how do you know you're hacking an IP address that's allowed to be hacked? So we have one of the characters. You walk up to that character. You say the IP address you want to hack, and he tells you whether it's in scope or not. Now, I did have some players email me saying, I can't trust this little thing inside the game, this character that says, yes, you could hack that IP address. <laughs> and they looked it up, and they realized we were hosting this all on Amazon. These were Amazon EC2 instances. And they said, Ed, do you have permission from Amazon for us to be able to do this? And I, I do have permission from Amazon. And for those users that actually said, before I hack this IP address that's on Amazon, you need to send me the permission that you got from Amazon. And I did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and Amazon was great to us. And this is it's still hosted up in the Amazon cloud right now. They didn't really understand what we were doing at first. We, we, we emailed them and said, we would like to do this. And they said, oh, it's a pen test. Where will you be pen testing from? And we said, well, it's actually a security game, and it'll be coming from all over the world. And they said, well, that doesn't sound like a pen test to us. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we went back and forth, back and forth. And finally, they said, OK. And I'm so thankful, because yeah. hosting this ourselves would have been hard. Um, if, if we hadn't been able to do that, I'd have to find some other organization of good friends that has a large worldwide network that, yeah, I don't know, maybe. maybe. <laughs> but Amazon, Amazon took care of it. And I, you know, I, I no ill effects, I presume. No ill effects. Yeah, good. Amazon was totally cool, and, and nothing broke. And we did use fail to ban, especially people were doing um, you know, complete searches uh, uh, in Supernome 1 looking for PHP and all this kind of stuff, just sending all these requests mm -hmm. across the network. So we failed to ban to throttle that, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So I'm presuming that these gnomes weren't 
very subject to a phishing attack. You know, as a matter of fact, they weren't. Last year, though, uh, there was a phishing attack in, in the 2014 Holiday Hack mm -hmm. Challenge. So what would happen is Alan Turing would introduce you to a friend, and then you'd have to provide this. It, so this friend was a, a bot on the net. Alan and Turing had a friend. Alan Turing had a friend who was a bot. <laughs> that seems to make sense. On the net. And it, and it was actually a version of the Eliza bot that we had customized. Right. So you get to chat with, with Alan Turing's friend, and you have to social engineer her into clicking on a link. Um, so that was in the 2014 one. 2015 one, no phishing and social engineering, but you never know for 2016. Never yeah. know. Yeah. You know, the human factor is a big piece of this. Even if the human is an Eliza bot. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it is. <laughs> yeah. So, well, very good, Ed. Thank you very much for giving us the rundown on that. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for the next one, Same quite here. frankly. Thank you, But uh, in, the, in the meantime, I, I really am going to go take a look at the uh, <laughs> look well, that, at this here. Even if you just log into the video game portion, right? you'll laugh and you'll hear this music. It really does um, sound like a lot of fun. It's just much more than I would have expected. Yeah, so we just wanted to make it. It's a, a lot. Good time. I can't imagine how the next year is going to be bigger, but I look forward to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to. You got me for life on these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent. That's so cool. So we're going to transition over to Stan here, and Stan, can you give us a little bit of a rundown of what happens when you do become a victim of phishing? <laughs> I think the problem is you can you can lose a lot, yeah. and so in the example that we read on Brian Krebs' website, uh, he gives an example of Seagate, uh, a company that one employee was successfully fished and I guess lost some amount of W-2s and sent them <clears throat> somewhere else. Now this was interesting the way they wrote this in and, and how many users were affected. It was thousands, <clears throat> but quote unquote less than 10,000 by a good amount. <laughs> I don't know if there's some sort of a reporting requirement or something like that, but it, it was less than 10,000. It the order 000. of magnitude. It's more than 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's less than 10,000 by a good amount, but thousands. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's very unfortunate. Uh, these employees, their W-2s are lost. They're going to get uh, credit monitoring. Uh, one thing that Brian Krebs points out is that he believes this is part of uh, the IRS fraud that's going on. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are uh, being impacted by this uh, where the fraudsters will submit for your income tax return. And once they have your W-2 information, that really becomes much easier. Right. So he explains that this might be one of those situations. Mm -hmm. So. Well, it's actually good to bring that out because, you know, Brian Krebs has provided some advice for folks that feel they might be... Uh, subjected to, uh, you know, a, a, a tax, I guess a tax return filing fraud, for lack of a better way of describing it. You know, there's actually an IRS form that you can fill out. It's uh, like uh, 14704 or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, don't go by that number. <laughs> but it's actually one that if you, if you have any suspicion that somebody might try to file a return on your behalf, you know, in a fraudulent way, that you can actually set up some additional authentication process to be able to make sure that somebody can't file that, that return on your behalf. So uh, that's probably worth for perhaps these folks to look into if it, there really is a suspicion that it might be related to using identity theft and it means to uh, file fraudulent tax returns. And for the rest of us, the best advice would be File as early as possible. <laughs> so you get your return faster than the bad yeah, guy. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and with electronic filing, you can, you can file the return, get it accepted, and then if you have to pay, set the date to be just before the, uh, the deadline. So you don't have to necessarily oh, pay with the, uh, when you file the tax return. <coughs> so that's, a, uh, that's actually more incentive to get it in earlier rather than wait for the deadline. As soon as possible. I find myself having to wait for all the forms to come in. I, mm -hmm. Even though a lot of right. them are available online now, mm -hmm. you still kind of, is there something yeah, I missed? It takes a little while. It takes a little while. Well, it, you always have the, uh, the safety valve if you need to file an amendment or something like, like that later on. Yeah, but it's probably more paperwork, and I hate paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> Do it electronically. It's not paper anymore. But, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that, because it's, uh, I think it, this is a good season for folks that if they haven't already <laughs> filed the return, to make sure that they uh, they get those returns filed and uh, you know take whatever protective measures that are necessary. All right, so uh, let's take a look at the internet weather for the last week or so here. And uh, for the first item that we want to talk about, uh, I think John Hogaboom talked about this last week. It was uh, sort of our first discovery of this activity. Uh, this is scan probes on port 4028 TCP. 
you know, th this has been previously associated with, I think, a backdoor associated with a botnet. There was a little bit of a, uh, I think, a, uh, a, a one botnet trying to take over bots for another botnet, that sort of thing. We're not convinced that that's actually the case in this situation, but there is a good possibility that's, uh, that's still the situation. Uh, nevertheless, I think what John showed last week were actually the number of source addresses that were doing this scanning activity, which is a really powerful indicator that it is in fact a botnet. That is, there are thousands of addresses associated with the scanning activity. But I thought it interesting to show it in terms of the number of probes. And the reason why is in the previous week, all of this activity that's over here to the right was showing up. But this activity farther to the left, actually on February 18th, did not show up. And the reason why is because that was one address. And so oftentimes in these situations where you see, you know, botnet activities starting to do scanning, uh, there's some indicator that occurred prior that is uh, perhaps a clue that, that might be coming. And I think that may be the case here. So this was actually a single address in a US-based cloud or a hosting provider. And uh, it, it probably had nothing to do with the provider itself. There was probably somebody at least access to the to one of those servers and uh, and did this sort of test probing to see if it was worth to go further. And by the way, we're only showing 30 days worth of data here, but in fact, going back a significant amount of time, there is really no other significant scanning activity to speak of here. So this is uh, actually a significant thing. Now, one of the things that um, we did find and further investigation is that it does appear that a lot of these sources are a very specific brand and model of a DSL router. And uh, in fact, on the, uh, the cover of the user manual associated with these devices, uh, it actually shows a, uh, you know, a default user account and password admin with a password of 1234. And uh, it turns out that in this particular case, a lot of these devices are, in fact, in that sort of uh, situation. So, or, or it appears to be, nevertheless. So we don't know for certain that that's the situation here, but there's a possibility that these devices are being compromised, turned into bots, and then um, uh, perhaps, in fact, setting up this port as a backdoor. So uh, it may, in fact, still be related to that botnet activity that was described earlier. Um, the, uh, uh, this is actually the map that uh, John Hogeboom showed from last week, showing the concentration areas where this activity has taken place. Not really very much in the United States, heavy concentrations in the Philippines, Thailand, Iran, as well as Brazil. And that may, in fact, be related to ISPs in the area or something that are providing these, uh, these devices. So if you have any suspicion that you might be using one of these devices, you might, might want to take a look at it further and see if there's something to do that can be done to lock it down. Looking at the top 10 most probed ports, well, top of the list, still port 23, but uh, actually surprisingly, port 53413 seems to have dropped down. We've been tracking that for some time now. That's actually a backdoor. Mm. We'll take a look at that a little bit more closely in a bit here. But that has dropped down uh, somewhat from, uh, from previous weeks. It's down, you know, five spots. But then it's followed by port 1900 UDP. This is scanning for uh, simple service discovery protocol, uh, perhaps to use in uh, reflective denial service attacks. There's not much purpose other than that to, uh, to be scanning for that. And then uh, port 80 TCP, followed by 53 UDP, 443 TCP. There's been a little bit of movement in there, but nothing really significant, what I would describe as you know, changes in activities. Uh, on port 22 TCP, uh, we did see a little bit of a jump in activity here. It's actually moved down in terms of the number of of probes, but I think later on we'll see that it's uh, jumped up a little bit in terms of the number of sources doing that probing. Uh, we already mentioned 53.413, then followed by 445 TCP, 33.89. Most of these are relatively stable in terms of the activity that we've seen over the last uh, several weeks here. Taking a little closer look at port 23 TCP, uh, it looks like we're sort of on an upward rise again in terms of the number of probes. Certainly not anywhere near the uh, peak of what we've seen, uh, which uh, dates back to uh, almost to the beginning of the year here. But it has, is actually uh, important, I think, interesting to note that we're still measuring in terms of hundreds of millions of probes per hour in this activity. So it's not as if even if this were going down or if, you know, even if it's in steady state, it's still a significant amount of probing activity. And then looking at 53.413, just again to point out that there's sort of a drop in activity there that's uh, taking place. Now notice here that there are some, 
sort of gaps in the activity that are taking place. It appears to be perhaps um, uh, maybe a weakness in the command and control or thing, activity sort of dropping out a little bit. I tried to do a little bit of a correlation between the 4028 TCP and this activity, and there seemed to be some, I'll call it weak correlations in the time of the dropouts. And so uh, there's a possibility there's a relationship between the two that is perhaps some of the drop here is because resources are being steered toward probing on another port. Again, it, it, it wouldn't be surprising. A lot of these are going after router devices, home router devices, and, and trying to get you know, what I call the internet of insecure things, you know, things with uh, you know, default username and passwords to uh, uh, recruit those in the botnets. And uh, you know, as we've talked about many times, Ed, I'm sure you're familiar with this. In fact, the whole theme of Internet of Things, mm -hmm. a lot of these devices are on all the time. Right. And these particular cases, they're actually right on the Internet, exposed to the Internet. Uh, they're not really running antivirus. They don't have intrusion detection. Mm -hmm. If they're not locked down, if there's not a firewall on the outside of them to protect them. So from a, uh, a, you know, somebody is trying to build a botnet, if they can compromise these devices, uh, it's very lucrative from their point of view. Yeah. Well, and not getting automatic updates either. Right. Uh, yes, good point. Actually, some of the newer devices, I think, are uh, getting a little bit better at that. But uh, to your point, Jim, most of the devices out there today don't have really good patching procedures, and uh, they really need to get uh, better at that. Looking at the most sources doing the probing, far and above, port 23 at the top, uh, followed by 53413, and then uh, Actually, not much uh, really additional port report here other than we do see a, uh, a climb in the number of sources that have been uh, probing on port 22. I took a look at this. It's not any significant change. And then uh, we had already talked about port 4028, which is relatively new on the list. Oh, actually, on port 22, I stand corrected. <laughs> Taking a look here over the last 30 days, we do see a number of uh, uh, what I would call is uh, basically a doubling of the uh, number of sources on port 22 TCP that's scanning, so uh, a botnet that's uh, perhaps taken a little closer look at this. Uh, we have seen in the case, again, home routers where devices have been compromised and then they basically looped back or enabled port 22 to be accessible from the uh, internet and uh, essentially using that as a backdoor to get into those devices later on. So it's a possibility they're coming back to look for those. So that's our show for today. We'd like to thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com. You can find ATT Threat Track on the ATT Tech Channel. It's on YouTube as well as on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at ATT Security. And Ed, you have a Twitter handle, right? I do. It's just Ed Scotus, E-D-S-K-O-U-D-I-S. -S. All right, very good. So uh, if you have any comments, feel free to tweet uh, us or Ed. And um, we'd like to hear from you. And we'd like to thank you, Ed, for joining us today. It's great to see you, as always. Thanks, Stan. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation and, uh, and especially appreciate your enthusiasm for the Holiday <laughs> Hacking Challenge because that, uh, that is, I think, the more I hear about it, the more I want to really dig into it. And, Please check it out. Thanks. And, uh, and learn more. Thank you, Stan, for joining us today. Thank you, Jim. I'm Brian Rexrode. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And until then, keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.